While you're finding a seat, I just want to once again acknowledge Amanda and Maria. They're doing a great job, don't you think? That was so sweet. I just love their harmonies. It just makes worship such a joy. Uh, Last Saturday, we had 70 guys come out and have breakfast, and then an awesome dynamic testimony from Chuck O'Daniel talking about how the Lord has helped them through the last uh, year or so uh, after losing his wife uh, in a drunk driving accident that... uh, Somebody else, obviously, was the drunk driver, took Kathy's life. And uh, he shared a testimony that was, uh, it was breathtaking. It was really something else. It's, it's one thing to hear somebody preach at you the right way to live. It's another thing to hear it from somebody you're watching live through it. You know, so that was awesome. And I have here to correct my statement about saying Nathan was getting older. <laughs> I just meant his eyesight, but it didn't sound right. So, Nathan, I apologize. You're a whole four months older than I, and you can tell. <laughs> By your eyesight. Oh, my gosh. I'm not wearing glasses. He looks a lot younger. Look at him. Oh, my gosh. All that hair is so unfair. Therefore, you deserve the lack of eyesight. (laughs) You can't have everything. If you are, if you want to be warm in the sanctuary, sit on this side. If you want to be cold in the sanctuary, sit on this side. All right? So once you figure that out, and the medium's in the medium area, you know? So we got hot, medium, and cold. <laughs> no offense. Here we go again. Yeah, hot just right in the middle. All right. Turn with me in your Bibles to Numbers 23. We are kind of in a part two message here. It'll prob- probably end up being three parts because it is a four-part, four-chapter incident with the false prophet Balaam. Balaam for hire. We're going to talk about that tonight. Now, Father, we pray that as we consider your word, which your own word testifies what it is, the supernatural, God-breathed word from heaven sent to save us, to give us light in this dark world. When we do things according to your word, we are blessed. So therefore, Father, we pray that we would not just hear the word tonight, but put it into practice. And we need your Holy Spirit to help us do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, this second week of looking into this Old Testament character, Balaam, a parable Jesus spoke comes to mind out of Matthew 13. Now, a parable is just an analogy that Jesus used uh, to paint uh, the picture of what heaven is like using an everyday Um, something from everyday life. Here's what he said. Here's a good illustration of what God's kingdom is like. A farmer plants a field of wheat, but late at night, while he's asleep, his enemy sneaks into the field and plants some bad seeds, poisonous weeds among the wheat. 
So the wheat sprouts up, but then to everyone's surprise, the weeds appear in the same rows. A hired hand comes to the farmer and says, Boss, look at the field. You only planted healthy wheat, right? Where did all those weeds come from? The farmer muttered, an enemy. The worker says, so we'll yank them all up, right? The farmer says, no, you might pull up some of the wheat by accident, by mistake. Let them both grow side by side until harvest that that time the wheat will be collected and placed in the barn. And at that time, the weeds can be yanked up and piled up and burned. Now, Jesus is talking to his uh, disciples about the Jewish leaders at the time and people like Judas who look like believers but are not. So he describes them in this wonderful analogy of uh, being this imitation weed that you have to leave alone because you can't even tell, really, unless you're an expert and even they can make a mistake. What Jesus is talking about the weeds is called Darnell from the Zondervan Bible Encyclopedia, this comment. Jesus was referring to a weed called Darnell, which looks exactly like wheat in its young stages. And in fact, only the expert can distinguish some species of Darnell from true wheat. Later on, the differences, however, are remarkable. The Darnell has far smaller seeds than wheat black in color, and when ground to flour, are poisonous, due perhaps to a particular fungus which develops in the seed itself, an appropriate description of the devil's seed, which Jesus will interpret this parable, saying that the devil has children that look and act sometimes like us, the believers. You know, believers can act like unbelievers, and unbelievers can act like believers, so it gets a little confusing. From Jesus' parable, here before we dive into Numbers 23 again, he says there are two classes of people, uh, children of God or children of the evil one. There are no hybrids, no half-weed, half-wheat. You're one or the other. You have the Son of God, or you do not, according to the Bible. And during the early stages, certain seasons in life, it's kind of tricky to distinguish between the two. But Jesus says, with time, with time, you will be able to tell really who's who. I love the scripture that says there's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. The truth will be manifested at the end. And sometimes that's the only way you can find out who's who. And really, all of this is to preface the fact that Balaam is often thought to be a prophet gone bad. But he never was a true prophet of the Lord. He was a false prophet who used the right words. He used the correct language and lingo. He had an impressive verbal display of dedication and he had, uh, and he was used by God. God will speak through this man. It will become holy scripture through the mouth of this false prophet. Listen to one more scripture before we look at our text. Jesus speaking. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. Ah, there we go. But inwardly, they are ferocious wolves. 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In other words, speak your word, drive out demons and do all kinds of many miracles. And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Now, Balaam is that kind of guy. He did wonderful things in the name of the Lord, but his heart is wicked inside the black poison that's inside the Darnell. Now that can be changed with just a change of heart, a change of mind. The Lord says, come to me, confess your sins, have simple faith and trust in the Lord. It doesn't take much to change from Darnell to God's holy wheat. Really, he made it very simple. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever just trusts in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So it's not really hard to change from a weed to beloved wheat in this analogy. So here we go with the prophet Balaam. In Second Peter, we are told to stay way clear of the way of Balaam. In Jude, the error of Balaam. And in Revelation, the doctrine, the bad doctrine of Balaam. Okay, here's the context before we pick up where we left off. Israel, assisted by God, is conquering their way through unrepentant and unbelieving pagan peoples of Canaan, a land that he had promised them some 400 years earlier. Now, they are beginning to slowly take possession of what is rightfully theirs. Uh, Og, king of Bashan, and his armies have dominoed down. And now Sihon, king of the Amorites, have gone over. And now up next is Moab. And the cities are going down like dominoes. And the king of Moab says, oh, no, this is, he sees the writing on the wall. And so he realizes conventional warfare is out of the question. So he's got a guy who's internationally known. His name is Balaam, who can hex people. He can call on this mysterious power, and he's an occultist. He's a voodoo kind of guy, witchcraft kind of guy, and he's known for these magical powers. And he said this, I know whoever you curse will be cursed, and if you bless somebody, they'll be blessed. So the guy had what we would call uh, the occult powers, uh, the powers of darkness, now, so you remember the delegation comes from Moab because he's freaked out. He sees that they're coming. They're rolling over the next hills. And so he says, hey, I need your help. He sends a delegation, the king of Moab, that is. And he says, come and curse these people. Balaam, come and help me out. And Balaam says, as you recall last week, let me ask their God if that's okay, if I can uh, curse them. And then he comes back and says, you know what? Their God said no. I can't. And he uses Yahweh's name. Yahweh said, no, I can't go with you, even though I want to. And he doesn't tell them that it's out of the question. Now, the delegation now returns from Moab a second time, just like Balaam had hoped. They had got the hint that he left. More distinguished representatives come this next time, and a greater promise of riches, if only he'd use his powers. Now, in spite of a clear no from Yahweh, Balaam persists and God acquiesces. And he says, kind of in essence, go ahead. 
See how far it's going to get you. And we know he didn't really mean a blessed go-ahead because a few feet later, he's out with a drawn sword ready to kill him, standing in his way. And so we all know the story, and we talked about it. He saddled up his donkey, and sure enough, the Lord has got a flaming sword in front of him. And now it's time to humble God's enemy. And the holy seer can't see, but the donkey, he can see. You know, so we find this guy who's blind and not able to even command his own donkey. You know, Isaiah 40 says the stars are called out by God and every one of them go to their place as he commands. And it says in Proverbs 8, verse 29, that the ocean's tides are controlled by God and that they do not step over their boundaries, that he tells the waves where to go, and they obey. Man, man is the only creature that says, you know what, I'll do whatever I want. You got boundaries for me, I'll cross them. You got precepts, I'll break them. You've got a law, I'll disregard it. You've got a presence, you've given me a conscience, I'll ignore it. Not even the animals, as we saw, the donkey gets it. They take cover, the animals. The animals are sometimes smarter than the people because they don't have a sin nature. We have the sin nature inherited from Adam and our mother Eve. So here we are. We're going to pick up now. Now, after a narrow escape, he's confronted with the Lord. Instead of a U-turn and saying, man, oh man, I, I bow before you. I can see what I want is wrong. I want to go and get paid to curse your people. And obviously, that's the wrong thing to do. So because of how you've now encountered me, and it's clear to me now, I'm going to do a U-turn and go home and repent. Have mercy on me, Lord. No. He wants to continue to go. And God says, go ahead. But you won't be able to do what you want to do. You'll only say what I give you to say to them. You will not curse my people. Go ahead. And we talked last week about God's false green lights he gives to people who are hell-bent on having their way, even though God has already said no, no, no. And if you want the no, no, no to be yes, 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 you will find what you need to find in God's green lights, but only to find out that he will oppose you. And use it to bring judgment to help you get on the straight and narrow. So now Balaam heads to the enemy's camp now, where the king of Moab runs to meet him at the border, and he's mad. Why didn't you come sooner? You know, they're coming around the next hill. I really need you. And Balaam's like, well, I'm here now, but don't get your hopes up. The king takes Balaam to the shrine to offer animal sacrifices to get it started. And with that, now we rejoin our wayward prophet, our fortune teller, with the king of Moab amidst amidst their bloody pagan animal sacrifices as they begin the process of divination there. All right? Verse 1 of chapter 23. Now Balaam said to the king, Build me seven altars here and prepare seven bulls and seven rams for me. Balak did as Balaam said. 
And the two of them offered a bull and a ram on each altar. Then Balaam said to Balak, Stay here beside your offering while I go aside. Perhaps the Lord will come to meet with me. Whatever he reveals to me, I will tell you. Then he went off to a barren height. God met with him, and Balaam said, I have prepared seven altars, and on each altar I have offered a bull and a ram. The Lord put a message in Balaam's mouth and said, Go back to Balak, the king of Moab, and give him this message. So he went back to him and found him standing besides his offering with all the princes of Moab. Let's pause there and a few comments. If you're taking notes, Roman numeral number one, pathetic preparation. Pagan sacrifices, they're on a hill dedicated to Baal. If you look at the last sentences of the previous chapter, you'll find out that the king of Moab takes him up to a shrine for Baal worship. And so these sacrifices sound familiar, but sacrifices to the Lord are only built on one altar, always one. Not seven. Now, if you're trying to get the God's attention and you're trying to make more money from your client, you would put him through all of this. See, but God only needs one altar. He doesn't need seven. And so we're going to talk about that. So he takes him up to a hill so that he can get a view also there of the people he's supposed to be cursing. And so it's funny because when he doesn't get what he wants, because Balaam is not going to be able to curse God's people. When he doesn't get what he wants, the king of Moab says, let's move to a different place. It's kind of like, maybe it's bad reception. You know, I mean, let's try four different mountaintops. They're really big hills. Four different hills. Let's try it over here. No, can't bless them here. Uh, Let's move over there. Uh, Can't do it here either. Well, can you hear me now? Or can you bless them now? Or no, can you curse them now? But the answer is no always. Okay. So, you know, the crazed look is started. The daggers are lifted up and the animals are being slaughtered. It's a bloody mess. The incantations are being spoken. Now, what I want to say here, when we see Balaam doing his lucky number seven as well, seven meant, you know, in the Semitic, to the Semitic peoples, seven was a big number. And so, you know, we're just trying to, Hit, hit the lucky jackpot there with seven. So he gets his crazed look, uh, and he's doing his thing and his incantations, and he's trying to hear from God. I want to make this point. Pursuing spiritual counterfeits is costly. Notice this. Three times at three different locations, Balaam is going to make the king go through costly rituals. Each time, Of the three times, they have to build seven altars. And on each altar, a bull and a ram, which are the most expensive of sacrificial animals. In addition, this guy had to come up with money for two envoys going back and forth. All of that. He has to foot the bill for this big feast. Last chapter, verse 40, they had this big feast. The king of Moab's paying for all of this. A voodoo fee, he has to fork over a divination fee. Plus, he's already said, I'll give you really whatever you want if you just get me out of this jam and curse these people. Notice, and I like to say this, uh, you know, there was a commercial back in the 70s for cigarettes. 
for Lucky Strikes. And the guy would come on with a black eye, and he would say, I would, I'd rather fight than switch. Some of you older folks, <laughs> like Nathan, <laughs> what is that? <laughs> That'll teach you to beat me at tennis. <laughs> I'd rather fight than switch. You know what? Rahab, the prostitute, figured it out and said, you guys are going to wipe us out. I'd like to know this God. And Rahab becomes an ancestress to Jesus Christ. If Rahab can figure it out and she runs a brothel for crying out loud, which she did in Joshua chapter 2, can this king not figure it out? Instead, he wants to fight him. Let's fight him. I can use my higher power. No, you don't understand about this higher power. And so what I want to show you is that pursuing spiritual counterfeits outside of God is really a costly thing. Uh, self, I'm going to read from a newspaper article. Self-proclaimed psychic Linda Marks scammed 83-year-old. There are thousands of these stories on the Internet. Thousands. Self-proclaimed psychic Linda Marks scammed 83-year-old Leroy Hofford out of he and his wife's life savings. Hofford died six years ago of leukemia at the age of 87. He spent his last few years penniless and humiliated, the attorney said. Leroy Hofford had been diagnosed as terminally ill with leukemia when he paid $59 for a reading from Marks at the psychic shop. She instructed him to place a chicken egg under his bed on a white handkerchief and bring it to her. When she cracked it open into a bowl of water, Hoffert said he saw, he saw small snakes come out of the egg. Marks told, Marks is the psychic, Marks told him the snakes were symbols of the evil spirits in his wife and started demanding more and more money to cure his illness. She said she would return the money once he was cured. Leroy Hoffert also put $14,000 down and made a few monthly payments on a Cadillac Escalade for the psychic that she said she needed to sit in to pray for him. <laughs> Mark swore Hoffert to secrecy months later when his wife discovered that more than $300,000 from their savings was missing. Do you know how many years she got for doing that? Four. Do you know how many years she's going to get from the Lord for doing that? If she doesn't repent. Jesus died for marks. He became that sin. If she generally, genuinely turns to him and confesses her sin in that jail cell, she will become like us. There's a difference between faking it so you can get out and really having a supernatural encounter with the living God who died for that sin to make us right with God. And the Lord always knows which is which. He really does. <laughs> He's really smart. <laughs> now, don't, don't stop with just this. This is Balaam at work. But all our false idols that we create will suck us dry, just like that, ruthlessly. 
all spiritual idols, drain our bank accounts, spend our lives chasing illusions, sexual fulfillment, monetary gain, positions of power. The cost is always just like Balaam. More than you can afford. It'll cost you your marriage. It'll cost you your family. It'll cost you your mom and dad. It'll cost you your career. It'll cost you a ministry that is thriving with thousands of parishioners, with million-dollar budgets to change the world for Christ. You will come tumbling down, and so will that ministry. Why? Instead of going to him to quench your thirsts and your needs and worshiping God who created you and heaven and earth. There's no other place to bow your your soul. And when you go to Balaam, (laughs) they're always going to charge you way too much. It's going to cost you way too much. And what are you going to get at the end? You're not going to get what you want. Balaam can't deliver what the king of Moab has paid him to do. And neither can our idols. Last little thing and then we'll move on. Old Testament scholar Duguid said this. The power that we ascribe to these idols that we have set up for ourselves is evident in the way we pour ourselves so devotedly into pursuing their demands and are so wrapped up in the fears of their loss. We would willingly go to the ends of the earth to do their bidding, and we regularly sacrifice on the altars whatever they demand. They fill our dreams and nightmares, and they shape our expenditures and our relationships. They are profoundly expensive masters, both in financial terms and in terms of the turmoil that they create in our souls. Yet in the end, like all idols, they are impotent to deliver what they promise or threaten. Balaam demands much, but in the end can't deliver, just like all false deities Isaiah 55, is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. If you have no money, come, help yourself. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen to me, your Lord, and you will eat what is good, filling, and healthy. All right, so after they, and uh, sorry, but they take the innards and they give them to him. And he's dissecting all the livers of these bulls, and he's coming up with a plan. And so they do that, and he goes off with his gizzards in hand, and he's saying perhaps, and that's the other thing about idols. It's always perhaps a maybe. Perhaps God will meet me. And so he's off by himself with his gizzards, and here's what God gives him to say. Verse 5 through 12. The Lord gave Balaam a message for the king, Balak. Then he said, go back and tell the king and give him my message. So Balaam returned and found the king standing beside his burnt offerings with all the officials there. And here's what he says. Balak summoned me to come from Aram. The king of Moab brought me from the eastern hills. Come, he said, curse Jacob. Jacob's another word for Israel. Curse Israel for me. Come and announce Israel's doom. But how can I curse those whom God has not cursed? How can I condemn those whom the Lord has not condemned? 
I see them from the cliff tops. I watch them from the hills. I see a people who lives by, live by themselves set apart from other nations. Who can count Jacob's descendants as numerous as dust? Who can count even a fourth of them? Let me die like the righteous. Let my life end like theirs. Then King Balak demanded of Balaam, What have you done to me? I brought you here to curse my enemies. Instead, you blessed them. But Balaam said, What I tell you? I will speak only the message that the Lord puts in my mouth. Wow. Well, let's pause here. Um, first of four oracles. The word oracle means the message that comes through a psychic. And so that word, by the way, in the Hebrew, marshal, it, it is never used of the true prophets of God. So when he speaks, we already know he's a false prophet by the use of that word. And so he's going to give four little messages. So here's kind of, if you're taking notes, strike one. All right, because he's asking him, I want you to curse these people. He goes off and he gets a message of blessing instead. The message is this, no can do, no can do. The blessing of Israel is irrevocable. It cannot be altered, amended, or rescinded. Israel is unique. It's distinct from other nations, and its uniqueness is linked to God. Therefore, I have no power, says this false prophet. Well, some things to notice about the first oracle. Um, Really, one thing is... You know, you you hear sometimes that God won't use a dirty vessel because we're vessels and the Holy Spirit wants us to be clean. That's 99% true. But there's a 1% thing where God will use whoever he wants to use. Balaam's a false prophet, and he will use him to do his will. Now, uh, here's what I want you to see. Israel's enemies hate her with a passion and with a vengeance. You miss it. In the English, in the Hebrew, he's saying, you've urgently demanded me to bring wrath and damnation to these Hebrews. He's got the crazed look in his eyes, flushed face, the veins are popping. He hates Israel. He will not bow before Yahweh. He will not come uh, be a part of Israel or Hebrews. It's the beginning of anti-Semitism, and it's been before this part in even in in Genesis. Uh, We were at the German consulate. I've told you about this, Pastor Adam and I. I had some business up there. And let me tell you just about feeling that anti-Semitism really in a bizarre way. We were leaving through the gates there in San Francisco, at the consulate, and there was a guard. The guard was opening the door to let us out, and there was a man standing there of Middle Eastern descent. And he looked at me, and I looked at him. And Adam was standing right here. He looked at me like he was going to kill me. He sized me up. He looked at my face as if he recognized me. And he looked with a murderous feel that I felt before I saw him. My heart was pounding. I was out of breath. 
from looking at his face. As we walked away, Adam said, what was that about? I was ready to jump in between you. And I said, do I really look that Jewish? I am a Jew, but do I really, honestly, am I screaming, I'm a rabbi? What? what? I don't know, really, I, what my hands, were they moving at the time? Did I say, look, let us out of this consulate already? You know, I didn't, I didn't do that, but gee whiz. You know what? Can I be wrong? Well, he, I could be wrong. Why do you want to kill me for walking out of the gate? Um, I have relatives with tattoos on their wrists from the concentration camps. Why this hatred? Kill them, curse them. Why? What's behind that? Well, I want to just read to you. It has been said that the history of almost all of the Jewish holidays can be summed up succinctly this way. They wanted to kill us. We won. Let's eat. Honestly, that's what they're about, all the, all the festivals. Are we almost got killed? He saved us. Pass the chopped liver. Now, I want to say that Jews have experienced more than 80 expulsions from various countries in Europe. We were expelled from England, France, Austria, Germany, Lithuania, Spain, Portugal, Bohemia, Moravia, and 71 other countries. There are 200 unanimous condemnation uh, resolutions against Israel in the United Nations. 200 condemning her. What's up with that? Just a little piece of land this big, as big as New Jersey. Well, there's a reason. Historians have classified six explanations. Economic. We hate Jews because they possess too much wealth and power. Two, chosen people. We hate Jews because they're arrogantly claiming to be the chosen people. Three, scapegoat. Jews are a convenient group to single out and blame for all our troubles. Four, religious enemies. We hate Jews because they killed Jesus. Five, outsiders. We hate Jews because they're so different. Six, racial theory. We hate Jews because they are inferior, an inferior race. Actually, it's a spiritual problem. There's a devil, and if he can wipe out Israel, the book's in error. Because everything, let me show you this the end of the world happens there where is that is it in Portugal is it in Poughkeepsie is it in Miami where does the end of the world happen the end of the world culminates according to the Bible in the valley of Megiddo that's called Armageddon the plains there from the top of Mount Carmel where Elijah that picture is taken from there where Elijah called down the fire from heaven. Now, it's all, the end of the world is all about hating the Jews. And as the world closes in to destroy the Jews, the Lord returns. So, you know, curse them, curse them, curse them. 
the president of Iran, drive them into the heart of the sea. We will not rest until Israel's not on the map today. He's a modern-day Balak. It's the same spirit some 3,000 years later. How else are you going to explain the whole thing about the Jews? The Bible explains it that way. All right, thanks, Ray. Okay, you know, so here, here's what he says. Look, I can't bless these people because the Lord said, I will bless you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, Abraham, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed because of you. And so there in Genesis 12, it just says, look, God has blessed Abraham to be the father of these people through whom the Savior of the world would come. And so he wasn't just that he singled out these people, but he had a purpose for them to be a light for the world. Now, when Abraham had at 99 and Sarah at 90, though she was barren her entire life and could not have children, and at 90 she conceives, the first thing that happens is God says, circumcise him because I want the whole world to know and you Jews to know that it was not through human reproduction that the Jews came into being. The reason that they, in this oracle, is that they are uniquely linked to God and they cannot be cursed because they are his offspring. He created them. Abraham is the father of the race. He could not have children. Sarah was barren. She's 90 years old. She can't have children. God says, I will enable you and I will make this nation. They will be linked to me. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, and that's where circumcision was the sign. It wasn't by the natural means. God's hand and his grace is what brought the Jewish people into the world. Therefore, because of that distinction, he is unable to curse them. They're unique. They're tied to God. They're his people. And then I want you to notice, he says, let me die the death of the righteous. Oh, to end up like they. You know what? It's one thing to want to die the death of the righteous. You've got to try to live the life of the righteous. All right. You can't just say, you know, I was christened as a baby. I got married in a church. I went at Christmas and Easter. And then on my deathbed, call for the priest because I want to die the death of the righteous. And let him wave his magic and bring the holy water. And even though I lived a life that denied God, And just kind of put them off to the side. I want to die the death of the righteous. You cannot die right with God if you didn't seek that out, peace with God, while you were breathing. It just doesn't happen that way. But everybody wants to die the death of the righteous, including this false prophet. Oh, he looks at them and goes, oh, to, to be connected to God, to have God on your side, to be God fighting your battles. 
What could go wrong? Man, oh man, I'd like to end my life like that. Imagine the peace and the security. Man, going to bed at night knowing God is looking out for me. I want to die like that. But I don't want to live like that. Too bad. You could have. Well, not surprisingly, uh, Balak is disappointed. I'm forking out big bucks here. This is backfiring on me. You're not cursing them. You're blessing them, Balaam. And then Balaam says, hey, I warned you. This God isn't like the others I'm used to dealing with. He's got his own agenda here. So let's look at the last, the second um, oracle, and then I'll make a couple comments, and then we'll be done. Verse 13, then Balak said to him, come with me to another place where you can see them. (laughs) All right. Look, pal. If you're telling me you want to die the death of the righteous, you're not going to keep playing the game. You're going to stop right there and say, look, it's off. Go away. I'm done. I can't bless these people. God spoke to me. He's blessed them. Done. Well, no, no, no. I want to die the death of the righteous, but let's keep playing the game because I know you want to pay me at the end of the story. (laughs) All right. Then Balak said to him, come with me to another place where you can see them better you may not see them all but only the outskirts of their camp and from there cursed them for me so he took him to the field of zophim on the top of pisgah and there he built seven altars and offered a bull and a ram on each one balaam said to balak stay here beside your offering while i meet with him over there the lord met with balaam and put a word in his mouth and said go back to balak And give him this word. So he went to him and found him standing beside his offering with the Moabite officials. Balak asked him, what did the Lord say? Then he spoke his message. Arise, Balak, and listen. Hear me, son of Zippor. God is not human that he should lie. Not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? I've received a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot change it. No misfortune is seen in Israel. No 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 misery observed in Israel. The Lord their God is with them. The shout of the king is among them. God brought them out of Egypt. They have the strength of a wild ox. There is no divination against Israel, no evil omens against that nation. It will now be said of Israel and the Jews, see what God has done. The people rise like a lioness. They rouse themselves like a lion that does not rest till it devours its prey and drinks the blood of its victims. Then Balak said to Balaam, neither curse them at all nor bless them at all. Balaam answered, did I not tell you I must do whatever the Lord says? Now, he's saying, look, the least you could do, if you're not going to curse them, could you just refrain from blessing them? That's what he's saying. Now, uh, it's only gotten worse. Now, now, Now God is schooling Balak, and he's about who he is and how good his word is, and then gives a little testimony of the Egypt thing and, and uh You know, Balak's really disturbed. He's just like, please stop. So, first of all, you learn about God's character and nature. He says, here's the paraphrase. I'm not like human beings. I don't lie. I don't exaggerate. I don't talk for the sake of talking. 
nor do I change my mind about what's right and wrong. If I say I'm going to do something, I do it. If I make a promise, I keep it. I'm God. So you would think that would be enough to stop asking, but he's going to ask again. He just told them, I'm not like you. You can't, you know, um, you can't tire me out by coming and manipulating me and making me change my mind about what's right and wrong. What's right and wrong, I know what's right and wrong. And I've called it. I've blessed them. That's the way it is. And so, you know, Proverbs 21, verse 30, there's no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. Now, do you make the same error? Do you wonder about God's promises, if they're good or not? Here are some of them. To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. John 1.12 Give and it will be given to you. Luke 6.38 God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Psalm 46.1 Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, be burdened, and I will give you rest. Matthew 11.28 He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Isaiah 40.29 Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. John eleven twenty five, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish and no one can snatch them out of my hand. John ten twenty seven. I will lead the blind by ways they have not known along unfamiliar paths. I will guide them. I will turn the darkness into light before them and make the rough places smooth. These are the things I will do. I will not forsake them. Isaiah 42, verse 16. I have told you these things that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete and full. John fifteen eleven. Even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. Isaiah 46, 4. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness, Jeremiah 31.3. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, Psalm 103, verse 13. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, Isaiah 43.1 and 2. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Proverbs 3.5 Blessed is the man who makes the refuge the Lord his refuge. Psalm 40, verse 4 All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. 2 Timothy 3.15 So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Galatians 5.16 The mind controlled by the flesh, sinful nature, is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Romans 8.6 Finally, with God, all things are possible. Matthew Chapter 19, verse 26. Are you a Christian? 
Or are you like Balaam? Balaam and Balak needed to know God doesn't lie. He doesn't just talk. He doesn't make a promise and not keep them. That's why I took five minutes to read to you some of Christians' most wonderful promises in the Bible. Do you believe them? Or are you under the error of Balaam? The error of Balaam is he says the oracle, but he lives like these are not true. If these are true that I just read to you, you got it pretty good. Nobody should leave this place depressed. Everybody should leave this place singing and praising God, hugging and laughing and rejoicing because of God's promises. If you believe that God is not a man, that he should lie or change his mind, those are all true. They will come to pass, and you can depend on them. Finally, he says, look, they've got too much strength because they're linked to God. And he uses the wild ox, the lioness, and the lion. I saw a documentary of this lion going for the prey. It's fascinating, as you have seen on those shows. The movement and the slow motion and the strength and the determination. He says, God's power and life is dwelling in them. You want me to come against that? Not going to happen. And the church. We are grafted into those promises. We are children of Abraham through believing like Abraham. Genesis 15 says that Abraham took God at his word. And that was credited to him as being right with God. And in the same way that we take God in his, at his word, we become children like Abraham. Therefore, Romans chapter 4 says we are children of Abraham. Those promises, that strength for your life is for you as well. All of these promises are for you. There is no curse, no spell, no ultimate harm that can come against you. The Bible says the, the gates of hell cannot prevail against you, that even when you die, yet shall you live. All of these promises are because God has, is your strength and the joy of the Lord is your strength. Let me close with Romans 8. I want to find the right place here. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life. It is the right hand of God. is interceding for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, or danger, or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Your life is connected to the Son of God. You're hidden in him. You're enmeshed and joined to God. 
God can't die. God can't get blown up. God, I mean, you're going to make it because of your connection through faith in the Son of God. We were at a cabin at Hume Lake that got burned to the ground. And they have a frame at the new cabin that was rebuilt. And in the frame is a, a Bible charred on the outside and every page is good. The only thing that survived, the fire, nothing. There's this big frame and with an explanation of the fire and how everything was burned completely to the ground. Not one thing survived except a Bible made of paper. All the pages right there. Unbelievable. God is saying to us tonight. Israel's indestructible. They're in the land right now. They shouldn't be. They were out of the land for 1,700 years. They didn't have their own country. 1948, they're in their, the land. Because why? Because I keep my promises. And in the same way, you will be victorious. It will all pan out. All his promises are good to you. They will be fulfilled. You just have to trust and obey. Father God, thank you. For what we're learning with this crazy prophet who is speaking the truth of God, even against his own will. Thank you for what we're learning, Father God. Help us to apply and be encouraged at the same security that is with the people of God in the Old Testament is with those who trust you in the New. And even more so, sealed in the blood of the covenant of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, his own blood, sealing the deal. So thank you, God, for the security that gives us great encouragement. In Christ's name, amen. So the Old Testament circumcision was a sign that they had been born to God. Their security was in this. They were born in a supernatural way from God. In the New Testament, the sign is not circumcision, it's baptism. And in baptism, the main point is, I've died and God has raised me to life. The same concept. I've been born of God, therefore my security is in God. He who's been born of God overcomes the world because God overcomes the world. The Old Testament, life from God. The New Testament, I'm sealed and protected and secure because I've been born by God. Not of a husband's will, First John chapter 1 says. Not of somebody's decision, but born of the Spirit of God, born again, a life incorruptible into eternity. That's the security that we share. Father, thank you. May that knowledge grab a hold of our hearts and lives and our wills to be motivated to do great things for you, to say no to sin and yes to God and to walk with you in humility and love and keeping ourselves in the love of God, dedicating our lives for service to God who loved us so much and gave himself up for us all. So thank you, God, for that security that we have in you. 
the grace we lean into, the love that sets our hearts free. We thank you, dedicate ourselves to your care tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.